0: Love Talk radio. Hello, this is the Gist of Freedom. You're listening to Leslie Gist, and hopefully we'll have a poet on. Mr. James LaCette. We also are broadcasting simultaneously from Brooklyn, New York, on Tender and Love and Care Radio, known as T&L Radio out of Brooklyn. So I will be joining... That uh, discussion very shortly stay uh, on hold, please. Or uh,
1: the latest one we got is about IRS uh, somebody oh, yeah. owed IRS Let me tell you If IRS Have an issue With you They will contact You by letter okay. <laughs> And let you know They're not Going to do all that So please Do not give out Your social security oh, Number And gonna any of that stuff And check your uh, With your seniors And then Is uh, Sister Leslie You're on Yes
0: I'm on I'm here oh. So we, we We turn it over Okay yes This is Lessa. Okay Thank you so much um, This is uh, You can introduce Yourself the show. The show. <laughs> yes, this is We have Mama Nelly, who's still here
1: uh, mm-hmm. With the Nelly Hour and this is Delta Best, this woman And the Executive Director for Tina Radio For Community uh, Therapy You know, and um, I'm here and, and we're just working all together It's nice when the sisters and the brothers can get together know, So again, yeah. let's we thank you And your beautiful husband And we love you all And uh, we'll turn
0: it over to you, okay? Have a okay. blessed, awesome day You too, you too. Okay, uh, we are live um, uh, coming out of Brooklyn. You just heard some of my co hosts on TNL Radio. Yes, the executive producer is uh, known as.
1: all of those people at the White House. And I was able to, I wasn't able to go, but I was able to listen.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I was enjoying the White House um, uh, where they where they had the uh, Smokey Robinson and Stevie Wonder and all of them at the White House. And I'm going to miss him really getting um Things done in spite of Congress Even though They won't work with him He has found a way to get some things done And I'm going To miss his cool Demeanor Very little It gets him excited and bent out of shape And I'm going to miss that He's not one of those Volatile people uh, That that uh, Jumps uh, At the drop of a hat he comes to the podium and he speaks calmly and makes sense. And I'm gonna miss that. And uh, I'm gonna miss him just being there. And I'm gonna, really gonna miss the first lady, because she is the first, first, first lady to my knowledge that was um, her 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 way of getting things done was to get with the people. Everybody had their own, every First Lady had their own, uh, I say agenda. Her agenda was the children, and she did something that hadn't been done since um, Roosevelt, the the Roosevelt's were in, um, Franklin Roosevelt's family was in the White House. She had a garden, and she actually got out there and did stuff in the garden, and showed the kids how to do stuff, and so I'm gonna miss that. And right. I'm gonna miss athletic woman that does not think it's beneath her to go out there and play with the kids, to actually show them that you know exercise is a good thing. And right. I love that. I love All right. that.
0: Okay. So you're gonna just miss him, you know, his whole essence. Okay.
1: All tall man in the White House because we haven't had even, you know, the ones that look tall when they walk beside him, they're not all that tall. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. he has a commanding presence. Maybe that's why people don't like him because he has a commanding presence. He has, you know,
0: Carter was short.
1: Bush, when President Bush walks beside President Obama, President Bush is short. He comes up to the man a little above his shoulder. So maybe mm. it's that commanding presence, this self-assured black man in the White House. That's why they want to take us back to a place for the back, but we ain't going.
0: We okay, that's right. I like that. We ain't going. All right, so um, I'm, I had scheduled a young man, a poet, to come on and talk to me a little bit. I don't know if he called in yet. James Mcque, um, are you on the line? No, okay, all right, so um if he calls we he will join us until then. We'll keep our regular uh scheduled show going, and that is to talk about some of the people in um our history our our ancestors who endured slavery, I call them slavery survivors and who encourage us and gives us inspiration that what we're going through is minor. And if they can go through something much worse, than we know that we can go through some of the challenges that we had because the, the challenges they faced were um, excruci- excruciating, um, right. painful. So just hearing the strides that they made under those circumstances is enough to tell us that we need to get up off our, our petunias and shake it off and keep it moving. So one lady that... Uh, Embodies all those qualities Is a lady named Charlotta Gordon-Piles Charlotta Gordon-Piles And her 12 children The rescue of Charlotta Charlotta Gordon-Piles And I'm going to read it back Read it to you just a little bit And um, Miss Nellie I know there's some background um, It's a little background noise Um, If you could help me out A tad bit That would be so nice that man from
1: here?
0: Yes, yes, yes. just a little. It's not too bad. It's a little. So I'm going to read this to you, and then I would like your feedback, okay? Charlotta okay. Gordon Powell was born in Bardstown, Kentucky, in 1806. She and her 12 children were enslaved by Sue and and Hugh Gordon. When the slaver Hugh died in 1834, he left Charlotta and some of her children to his only daughter, Frances with the expectation that she would give them their freedom. Under the laws of that day, the children's legal status was the same as the mother's. So the power's children, Charlotte's children, would be considered all enslaved. But Mm -hmm. in spite of her father's wishes, Francis's brothers were not of the same mindset. They did not want to free Charlotte and her 12 kids. So in 1853, one of her brothers, Francis's brothers, a slaver, kidnapped one of Charlotta's uh, sons, Benjamin, and he took him to Mississippi, way up the river, deep in the south to, to be enslaved. This act convinced Francis, his abolitionist sister, that she would have to leave Kentucky and head north in order to um, fulfill her father's wishes and free Charlotta and all 12 of her children. Um, Do you have anything to add at this point? You have any questions before I continue? The the
1: girl was going was going to do what her father asked for her to to do in his will. the Freedom.
0: The freedom. That.
1: That there was a brother that saw this as him losing a whole lot of money.
0: Right. It's his inheritance. It was
1: hundreds of dollars, and he He, was not mm -hmm. willing to lose that money.
0: Right, he looked so, at his father and his sister as out of their cotton picking mind. He couldn't understand why you would give away thirteen uh bodies that most, people had, dollars, yeah. right. most, right. most people had to take a mortgage out. Right. Right. Most white people had to take a mortgage out to buy slaves. It was like buying a this, car or a house.
1: Yep. this, this right. is another case of greed overpowering. Because the, the father was going, to, was going to do the right thing, because if the father was really going to do the right thing, he would have freed him while he was still alive. Right, but he
0: didn't As want to lose brother, his
1: benefit either. The father, father taking money, taking food out of mm-hmm. him and his children's mouth. So he mm-hmm. wasn't about to go along with it.
0: And, and anyway, then he had to know to and, kidnap him. Go
1: ahead. I'll yeah, to buy But he knew his sister wasn't going to agree for him to take this person into slave territory, further into slave territory. So, right. He, he kidnapped them and ran off with them. Actually, he was a criminal at that point.
0: Right. And and, and it's funny because one of the books uh, um, from the Steele family, which I – this is the family who introduced me to Underground Railroad, Peter Gisteele, he was kidnapped under similar circumstances. They got away, and they came across the Mason-Dixon line to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area, and kidnapped the children. And mm-hmm. it's 40 years for them to be reunited. So it was very common – for uh, slavers to kidnap free blacks and blacks who were on their way to obtain slavery. So let me continue. So, um, when the brothers learned of her plans, they sued Francis, claiming that she was no longer competent to manage her affairs. Francis confirmed, though, and argued in the Kentucky court that as the legal owner of Charlotta and her 12 kids, she was allowed to move the enslaved family wherever she pleased. And she won the case. But, oh, yeah. but a month later, her brothers and a few other relatives, now he done rallied up some more relatives, and said, I'll split some of these slave children up with you if you side with me. So he gathered up some allies. And then they went back, and they got some other sheriffs, and they arrested Charlotta and her 12 children and hauled them out to jail. Francis oh, my goodness. Francis, the abolitionist, was like, Oh, no, no, no. She tracked them down, followed them, and took it took a, a few days but she finally was able to release them from the jail. She had to pay fifty one dollars and thirty five cents for the sheriff's expenses because you know, the sheriff wanted to get paid. And she was able to take the take the family out of bondage again from the grip of her greedy enslaved I mean slavers and her family. So
1: Exactly. Oh, she took yeah. What happened
0: was apparently
1: Carlotta's father gave her as administrator of his estate. And right. as the administrator of his estate, she was supposed to free these 13 people mm-hmm. Carlotta right. and her 12 children. The right. brothers of Francis right. Was right. Daddy's taking money out of us and our children's mouths. So we are not going to go along with it, but so Carlotta no. was an abolitionist. No, Francis, Francis was really an abolitionist, and Carlotta ran ran was a black really lady. Right? adamant about following her father's but wishes. Could I ask a question? Yes,
0: you can. When taking money out
1: of taking out of our money, I mean, that's not their money. That's their father's money.
0: Right.
1: And they had an answer a shoe. They, they took it that to That's what people still think. If you die, your whatever you left behind should come to me. Right. If my mother dies, whatever she left behind should come to me. That's why there's such big fights when rich people die and they give their money to charity mm-hmm. and yeah. people are screaming and selling because they think that all that money that mom and daddy left behind should come to me and my family. For and a if lot they're of, giving it away, they're
0: giving away my money.
1: But it a, lot, money.
0: Look, a, a, a lot of spiritual people believe that. God wants you to, to die owning nothing because he doesn't want, you know, those fights to, to, to continue. So, you know, um, uh, you know, let's continue with this story. So let's make sure we got the taxes, the people in place. Shihanna is a black lady with the 12 children. Um, Francis is the white abolitionist. And her brothers and relatives are the slavers who are suing her to say she has no right to free these people. So fearing that Charlotte, her brothers don't know what she do. Right. Fearing that her brothers might try to kidnap other members of Charlotta's family, Frances then eighty years old. She was eighty years old this abolitionist. Loaded the family, Harry Charlotta, eleven and her twelve children, and five grandchildren. Now the family is growing. And all of their supplies into a prairie schooner. The route through Miss Missouri, a slave state, was fraught and unfamiliar. So, for a hundred-dollar fee, nearly three thousand um, dollars in today's money, they hired a man named Nat Stone in St. Louis to guide them across the terrain. After they were well on their way, Stone decided that his services were worth much more than, than his initial quote, so he asked for an additional fifty dollars. In return for the extra money, he promised that he wouldn't turn the family over to the slave traders in Missouri. Now, you know it was common for the some people to pretend that they were going to help you in your route to freedom. And then it would turn against you. So you don't know how many stories there were where black people had raised enough money, secreted out, and raised money... Um, was able to raise money from um, sympathizers while they were enslaved. And then at the moment that they hand the money over to a trusted white person who promised that they would help them gain their freedom, they would take their money and then tell on them and, and expose them and betray them, and they would get into a whole lot of trouble and most times shift deeper into slavery. So you know they all had to be concerned when this man said he wanted 50 more dollars would you have trusted him like, you know what? Like you know, Harriet carried a gun. Is this a sign? Yeah. What would you do? You know, I like to know what would you do if if you had say this man and now you out here in the woods, don't know which way from up or down and he's telling me he wants more money, would you give him the money or would you give him a bullet? Oh, that 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 that's a that's a hard choice if you don't
1: know where you are. And you don't know where the slavers are. You might be inclined to give him more money, but I think I would just let you got all the money I got. I ain't got any more. That's it. So mm. uh, if I was Harry Tubman, i should probably shoot him. Mm-hmm. Get it over with. Mm-hmm.
0: It's, it's, you know, there are so many hard, hard decisions uh, you they have
1: a, to Had make. A, had a had a had, had a, uh, a process. You either go or you don't you get started, you go. You ain't going back. So I'm thinking that she would not have let this man live to tell anybody where they were located. So he yeah, was in a dead
0: job. She said, dead man tell no tales. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right, so let's keep on reading. So, so they the man turned out to be a good man, you know, as good as they come. He took the $50, and he did show them the way out to the north. And they arrived safely.
1: However,
0: two in law were still enslaved in the South. Charlotte had son in law And Charletta wasn't just happy with her children and the grandchildren. She wanted all her kin free. So she, you know, she was like, you know, we still have two left in the South. She said if they were to join the family and find work, the family just might make it. So, Charlotta contacted the owners of the two enslaved remaining enslaved um, son in law. And she said she would like to purchase their freedom. So, the slaver said, okay, you can have them for $1,500 each. And that's mm. equivalent to today's $40,000 today. Mm. Charlotta, Charlotta walking by faith, not by sight. She said, no problem. No problem. Charlotta started... Uh, She she embarked on a speaking tour Around the east coast To raise the needed $3,000 She spoke in churches Private homes and public halls And she spoke in places like The Independence Hall in Philadelphia She preached about the evils of slavery Along the way she befriended Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass In six months In only six months She raised the $3,000 And she bought the freedom of the two remaining men that was in her family that was enslaved. All right. And then, Charlotte and her husband, Harry, they had been, you know, married in their traditional way, in the way that only enslaved black people could get married. But once she was free, the first thing she and her husband did was they were finally legally married on April 2nd, 1857, in Kentucky. And with most, That's not in Kentucky. Cool and someplace, I can't pronounce it, in Keokuk, K-E-O-K-U-K. And with the most of the family back together and their finances were stable, Charlotte offered her home as a shelter to enslaved blacks escaping on the Underground Railroad going towards Canada. The first school for blacks in Keokuk was built in 1869, but it was meant mostly for primary school-age children. When Charlotte's daughter, Charlotte Smith, tried to enroll her son, Jared, in an all-white public high school, school officials refused to admit him. Charlotta, this is the second Charlotta, her daughter. Charlotte and other black families filed a lawsuit against the school. And in 1875, the Iowa Supreme Court ruled in their favor, ordering all the state schools integrate. School officials in Keoka, K-E-O-K-U-K, didn't fight the decision and began enrolling black students into their schools in eighteen seventy six. And this was seventy eight years before the Brown versus the Board of Education took place. So Charlotte Gordon Powell passed first. away and on January nineteenth, eighteen eighty. And that's the end of the story of this version. Any comments? I was just saying that was a resourceful woman. Charlotta
1: and her daughter both were resourceful women they didn't sit back and say, well, that's that,
0: mm-hmm. you know, it's
1: over, can't do nothing. They were determined to move forward. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Carlotta went on a speaking tour, and back then, you know, women were not um, really thought of as being very bright right. <laughs>
0: mentally. Right.
1: And right. so we, one of the things was, and even even to this day, I remember not well in the 20th century when our first woman district attorney in New York I think it was Elizabeth Holtzman, mm-hmm. and so she didn't have the um uh, stability the Okay the, the, no she didn't have the stability to be a, uh, whatever it was she was running for because ha- women did everything by their hormones and when our wow. hormones go out of whack we do stupid stuff, and I'm like, oh, I remember really? that. I and remember that. Do you know, mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. know that that that, and that was recently. So you know, back in the day, even not only slave women, but all women were supposed to be stupid. And this mm-hmm. woman went on a speaking tour, and people thought enough respect for her to come to her, hear whatever she was saying, and give money.
0: That's right. So
1: she was able to raise that money to free her family.
0: All right. Now And they charged uh, fifteen
1: hundred dollars because they thought she wasn't going to be able to raise it.
0: Yeah. Oh, twice. It was three thousand, fifteen hundred for each. So she raised uh-huh. that that money within six months. Um. It was, you know, it was that press, that the press. She was the media. You know. Remember, uh-huh. the, you know, the t- newspapers and television wasn't even around, but newspapers were right. pamphlets. So it was that was like cable television, going on speaking mm-hmm. to seeing people speak in person was the TV of their day. So yeah, yeah. they con- they controlled that that part of the press. And Frederick Douglass he would have uh, other speakers with him. He would go to places where other speakers would take you know would present their mm-hmm. stories. So it was a, a serious network, and that network was all part of the Underground Railroad, although it was above ground activity. It was still funding the um, Underground Railroad, and the right. last thing I said about that is many of the, the you know the radical abolitionists would never buy somebody's freedom. They thought that th- that money was going to be used to um, to endorse and to uh, elevate the uh, slave system. So some slave yeah. um, mm-hmm, some anti-slavery people, you know, would use Harriet and uh, take people by force, rescue them rescue them by force, or, you know, but they would never pay. So that is a, a, a story that
1: It's we like made. now when the United States says we don't pay ransom because it makes people think they can, they can continue stealing our people and charging us for them.
0: So right, and they, they would build the an empire.
1: They would pay for a slave's freedom because they figured the slave owner would just sell this one and use the money to buy another one.
0: Oh, buy a few more and breed them. Even worse, even freedom. All right, so we have another story, and this is about, comes from an HBCU like your school, Tuskegee. But this one is about Fisk. Alice Shepard, a slavery survivor, was a matriarch of the Fisk Jubilee singers. Can you tell us about the Fisk Jubilee? What do you know about the Fisk Jubilee?
1: I don't know that much about them. I just know there was a great choir. They used to go from, from place to place, and I, I believe they were raising money for the school at one point because people were paid to come see them sing. <clears throat> that,
0: was, that was a very well-known choir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the matriarch, one of the first ladies who started the whole um, choir, she has a story, and this is her story. She was a friend of Frederick Douglass and one of the most distinguished African-American women in her generation. Shepard was born and is born a slave in eighteen fifty one on Andrew Jackson's plantation, you we know who he is. And Andrew yes. is about to be replaced by Harriet Tubman mm-hmm. on the twenty dollar bill. He was the one who did the trail of tears for all the Native Americans. So he's he's uh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So her father, Simon Shepard, had purchased his freedom by hiring himself out as a Nashville, Tennessee Tennessee liver man and hack driver. So, I guess that's something like a stagecoach driver, Mm -hmm. something like an Uber driver, you know? Mm
1: -hmm. So, that's how
0: he raised his money to buy his freedom. When Shepard was a little girl, her enslaved mother said, threatened to drown Ella and herself, but the owners refused to permit her, Simon, to purchase Ella's freedom. So, she wanted her husband to purchase little Ella's freedom, and she didn't, but they wouldn't allow them to be free, she threatened to drown both herself and her daughter. But an elderly slave prevented her, predicting that the Lord would have have need of that child. Her owners refused to release Ellen, but allowed Ella to go with her father, who soon remarried. And fearful he and his daughter might be re-enslaved, he fled penniless to Cincinnati, Ohio. So she did get her wish she wasn't able to be free herself, but she did not want her daughter to be enslaved. Now, we don't know what kind of slavery she endured for her yeah. to want to kill her child if she had to witness her being enslaved. Now, we need to let but that sink I
1: understand in. understand that some mothers did kill their children rather than right. have them grow up in slavery.
0: Right. That's the story yeah. that um, Oprah um uh told in her movie It.
1: And Love It uh-huh.
0: is about just that, that many black women, um enslaved black women were like, you know what? Uh-huh. I may have to deal with this but my kids mm-hmm. will not. And right. if it's just a punishment that yeah. they're gonna lose money, you're not going to have this one more child right. in, in slavery, you know, so can you imagine if you're a slave if you're a white slaver and you're expecting a baby and you you think that you you know, your wealth is another, going, worker. Right? Another, another worker. Right. Another worker. And you paid a lot of money for this woman because she is a breeder and you expect this and every time she has a uh, is pregnant and she has a baby, she kills him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what he would do. He's gonna sell her up the river. He's not gonna tell the potential buyer what she's what she's
1: capable so of doing and what she has done. Down into Louisiana, yeah, yeah. So, so that's what they did with the, uh, what um, what they call unruly slaves or whatever. They sold them further down south. If you were in Virginia, they'd sell you to somebody going to Louisiana or in the swamps so
0: Right, and they had slave insurance. I don't know if they covered, you know, women who would do that. You know, they they covered. You know whenever slaves right you know, that slave mm-hmm. insurance, yeah, they they had insurance.
1: insurance on somebody there. so when they die, you will get some money right, or like the same thing as having life insurance, but you're taking it out on somebody else, like your car insurance,
0: oh yeah, those companies still exist. the companies who insured slavery and insured slave owners um they're still around today uh, Yes. Child, child life is one of them, and um. I Yes. Metropolitan life is one. As
1: mm-hmm. I read that
0: Metropolitan life. Yeah, you know, Metro. My husband thinks travelers is one too, with the umbrella. Mm. So, um, yeah, these they, these companies still exist, and a lot of them had to drop the um, slavers because uh, blacks were burning down so much property in the north. I mean, in the south, that um, they wouldn't even uh, take any more policies. Wouldn't accept the south anymore. It was becoming oh, too costly, goodness. Too costly, So they wouldn't even um take the policy. So let's continue. A German woman taught little Ella Shepherd how to play the piano. Ella also managed to persuade an eminent white vocal teacher to give her twelve lessons, provided she keep them a secret and arrive and depart at night by the back door. After her mother's oh. death from um after her father's death, Ella supported herself and her stepmother and her half-sister Rosa by teaching at a school for former slave people. Managing to save about $6 in five months, she proceeded to Nashville in 1868 to enroll at the Fisk Free Color School. Her skill as a pianist immediately drew the attention of Fisk uh, treasurer and musician George White who appointed her as his choir's accompanist and assistant uh, as a director. All right? Uh, through frail and, and, Sh- and Sickly, Shepherd valiantly remained with the troupe for seven years. She accompanied the choir on piano, oversaw many of their rehearsals, and she did all this great stuff. So Shepherd built a house for her mother and her half-sisters in Nashville and married one of the most prominent black ministers in the United States, Reverend George Washington Moore. They lived at first in D.C., <clears throat> Agitating against the saloons, in their neighborhoods until it has been transformed into one of the most desirable areas of the city. And remember, drinking was really unpopular, and especially in the Wild West, Salo- saloons and drinking, which is out of control, guns and and alcohol getting mm-hmm. mixed, and they would uh-huh. just turn they would turn communities upside down. So in D.C., her and her husband. They had, like, temperance committees and organizations and benevolent societies, and they cleaned out that area and made it a place for everybody to live. So that's the story of little Ella Shepard, who was almost drowned by her mother because she did not want to see her be enslaved, and they allowed her. Once she threatened to do that, they said, okay, instead of taking the risk of losing both of these slaves, the mother and the daughter, because she would do it. So she was and baby. Right. So he was going to lose a lot of money. So he said he better cut his losses and take the money from the father and let him buy his daughter's freedom. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's you know, that's our story. And so. Um, very
1: mm-hmm. inspiring. Mm-hmm. That was very inspiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, that this, this young girl <clears throat> wound up learning to play the piano without yeah. any formal training or anything. But she was able to learn you know, a lot of uh, black people seem to be musically inclined. Yeah. You know, they they have it they can determine more of uh, like chords and stuff that they've never seen or, you know, you you play it but once yeah. and
0: they get it. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. yeah. Mhm.
1: And they can improvise it on
0: their own. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There's a lot of. Uh-huh. Any more comments back there before I go to one of the last stories? And I don't uh-huh. know if I share this. Did I? am um, talking about somebody in your backyard now. I don't know how. I don't know how long ago I shared this story. Did I tell you about Dr. Susan Smith McKinney from Brooklyn? No? I don't think so. Oh, if you did,
1: I forgot about it. But I know there is um a place here. A, a medical facility for Dr. Susan B. McKinney. Oh, mm. tell me about mm. it. I've forgotten. And it's either a nursing home or a hospital,
0: Susan Where B. McKinney. Where is it
1: located? It's in Brooklyn.
0: Uh, do you know a street or the area of Brooklyn? I believe
1: it's, let's see, is it in East New York or East Flatbush? It's either in East New York or East Flatbush because mm-hmm. uh, it's connected to... I believe it's connected to Kings County Hospital, which is a big uh, city hospital in Brooklyn. Mm. Oh, okay. I, I went to a meeting regarding about the Kings County Hospital, and Susan B. McKinney came up. That name keeps coming up into my life. Uh, Susan B. McKinney, the, um facility came up. Then I was taking my husband, going my husband to the doctor, and I mm. passed the Susan B. McKinney. I said, so that's the Susan B. I believe it's a... Uh, it's either um, a hospital, uh, I mean, a um, um, health facility or a nursing facility. Uh, you, you're on, on point. Beginning.
0: Okay. But I didn't you know your was black. Oh, yeah. Now, see, and see, now you know. Now you know. Now now our children have to know. That's what this show mm-hmm. is about is uncovering what they buried. You know, we're we walking alongside and next to and on the grounds of people who built our communities. Built them up. Right made them desirable, made other people attracted to them, and came here, and they benefit from all the work we've done, and then we're, we're being told that we had no contributions. We weren't here. We didn't do anything. So it's all our job to find out these stories and share them and revive and resuscitate these stories, because when we pump life into their memory, we pump the life into our our minds and hearts and souls. You know, mm. so... Let's finish this up. Dr. Susan McKinney established her own private practice in Brooklyn, which she ran from 1870 to 1895. During this time, she co-founded the Brooklyn Women's Homeopathic Hospital and dispensary, which served the African-American community. She completed her postgraduate education at the Long Island Medical College Hospital in Brooklyn and practiced at the Brooklyn Home for for the age. Okay. She was, she was president of the Brooklyn Women's Christian Temperance Union, number six. She was an accomplished public speaker, and in 1911, she addressed the first Universal Race Congress at the University of London in the, in the United Kingdom. Her presentation was entitled Colored Women in America. Um, in 1898, Dr. Smith McKinney Stewart was hired by Wilberforce University. And remember, Wilberforce was not a traditional HBCU. Wilberforce was started prior to the Civil War, before slavery was ended. Started by AME ministers. So right. I love Wilberforce. So in 1898, Dr. Smith McKinney Stewart was hired by Wilberforce University in Ohio as a resident physician and faculty member to teach health and nutrition. Devin Stewart joined the faculty shortly thereafter to teach history. She remained at Wilberforce until her death 22 years later. Dr. Smith McKinney Stewart's activities include a local missionary work and women's suffrage advocacy. In 1914, she gave a speech, Women in Medicine, at the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs Convention. So we had a Col- Colored Women's Clubs Convention. Yeah. So we yeah. need to revive that, too. We got a, all the black women's clubs that are out there, not just sororities. With all the good work that black women are doing, if you have an organization, we got to have a convention and get together like our ancestors did back in the early 1900s and late 1800s. So Dr. Smith McKinney Stewart practiced medicine for 48 years. When she died in Brooklyn in 1918, W.E.B. Du Bois gave the eulogy at her funeral. In 1974, Brooklyn Junior High School was renamed Dr. Susan McKinney. In her honor. Mm-hmm. Two mm-hmm. years later, two years later, black women physicians in the New York and New Jersey and Connecticut area named their society after her to honor her work and her life. So that's the story of Dr. Smith McKinney, and you have a high school somewhere in Brooklyn named after her. Well, and I didn't
1: know about that either. But I, 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 mm-hmm. I know when I was at, and this hasn't been that long ago. About a, I think it was about a year ago I was at the meeting. And Susan B. McKinney came up, and then about six months ago, I was taking, going with my husband to the doctor, and I saw the Susan B. McKinney. I said, so that's where it is. And now mm-hmm. you're explaining to me who Susan B. McKinney really is. Yep. So we got to This, this is interesting you because sure. when when I first heard about it, I didn't know she was black, mm-hmm. and so I you know just pass it off like okay, that's just an, another. Person that started a nursing home or started a health clinic or whatever. But mm-hmm. this woman, this Susan B. McKinney that you're talking about, was doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. She was a busy woman.
0: Busy woman. Looked at a few different states far, t- around the country, and to have W.E.B. Du Bois to take time out of his schedule to give the eulogy shows a lot about who she is. So we definitely mm-hmm. need to me bring her up in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn churches. Everybody start paying homage and teaching the children that they could be doctors. And with that said, yes. Doc McStuffin, you heard about, do you know what, who Doc McStuffin is or what Doc McStuffin is? Yes. Doc McStuffin is a cartoon about a little black girl um, being a doctor, pretending to be a doctor, and she she um, serves and heals and cures her little stuffed animals. And she's mm-hmm. trying to. Emulate her mother who is a doctor So this year They're taking her off the air That cartoon Inspired black female doctors Throughout this country To to start an organization Because they were inspired by that Cartoon And they have a mobile Doc McStuffin um, RV that they take around The country and black Female doctors go around and they Mentor and teach and meet Little black girls and try to inspire them to become doctors, so they get to meet a black female doctor. Um, so a lot of people are very disappointed that shows them taking off the air.
1: No, that, those people who uh, don't want it taken off the air should be writing to the to the uh,
0: television station.
1: To well, try I them to take
0: it off. well, I hope Well, I hope OWN picks it up. I hope Oprah put, picks it up um, or. Some black station or some entity, because it's, it was a uh, Disney. It was created by Disney, so it's our turn to just pick up the ball and run. You know, mm. if they don't do it. And and the last story I'm going to share is uh, Hillary. Hillary Clinton was speaking at some black organization for black journalists, and she quoted Miss Ida B. Wells, and she said, "People must know before they can act." And there is no educator to compare with the press. No educator That's to compare. Go ahead. What are you saying? That's true.
1: The, the press, because the press is always out there, and they're always giving out information, and some of it is good and some of it is not. Some of it is true and some of it is not. So now they're starting to jump on stuff that, you know. But they, they are the best educators. Cause they have the most uh, inf- information.
0: And influence, well, they,
1: right? It's out there. Some of it is, sometimes they're putting stuff out there that is not true, and you have to actually research it and find out, oh, this was not so.
0: And I think that it is the biggest miseducator as well when it comes to black people. For instance, the hmm. press is, is teaching the world to think that we're criminals. That's their oh, biggest yeah. lesson. Their biggest lesson to the world, their biggest educational lesson to the world is to believe and to have the mindset that black men are criminals and they need to be feared. So when you see on the news every night stories in slow motion of a black criminal kidnapping, I mean, um, whether it pot picketing or stealing a purse, any of these crimes that they're committing. Right. And they act as though the only crime that's committed at the six o'clock hour they can report is of a black man. When you have white people committing crimes twenty four seven and they don't mm-hmm. show them in slow motion, they don't show them as criminals. Um somebody posted on Facebook, um, a story that white girl committed a heinous crime and I can't remember which which one it was. I think she shot up, killed her kids or something. Really so
1: the girl that was arrested the other day killed her boyfriend and the boyfriend's friend or something, better, left them behind a, was it a white girl or a white boy, left them behind a store or something. Yeah, killed two and then, people. Yeah, and nobody, what they called, do, a nobody right.
0: called her an animal. Right, and, and, yeah. what, and what people were complaining about on Facebook was that for the black man that got killed and shot um, by the police, Instead of showing him as a human being with family, his wife, his children, his mother, they pulled up a picture of him, of his mugshot from mm-hmm. many, many years earlier. But this woman, black girl, I mean, white woman, who um, murdered somebody, instead of using her mugshot, um, they decided that the best picture was her face, no, her I what face was yeah,
1: yeah, One of her I
0: face pictures where she's looking um, like a, a good old. White innocent white girl. So the point is that media miseducates and uses propaganda to Mm -hmm. um, to have uh, to influence public opinion about our black men. Now we not only have to fight police brutality, we have to fight the white press and tell them it is their fault. Why people are fearful?
1: That, that, yeah, that the police actually think of us as a whole neighborhood is a bunch of criminals. Right.
0: Mm. So um, that is my hour. It's a minute from four o'clock, and I would like for you to um, just give your your um, run down your uh, information that you normally do. What's going around in oh, New York? You as to who's on, what
1: what hours, and whatnot.
0: Yes uh here we go, and then we're going to close out and whatever announcements you want to make that you made on your show, you can feel free to make them here and we will end to show you
1: okay uh, uh this is the Leslie gist and the gist of freedom you're listening to t a n d r radio w radio uh, on the computer uh on the internet. And 90.5 in East New York. We, um, our, our shows during the week are Scott Young, Pull Your Pants Up on Wednesdays, 5.30 to 7. Go Away, The Compost Bin, Friday 7 to 8. Grandma Ellen, Tacky Talk, and Friends, Saturdays, 12 to 2 p.m. Um, Nellie Johnson, Saturdays, 2 to 3 p.m. Oh, I forgot. The Empress, turn it up. Let's make some noise. Fridays, 8 to 9 p.m. Delsa Best, today's woman, Wednesdays, 7 to 9 p.m. Leslie Gist, which you're listening to right now. Leslie Gist and the Gist of Freedom, at the Gist of Freedom. Saturdays, 3 to 4 p.m. And coming up after Miss Gist, It's Donald Brown, Chilling with Donald Brown's Journal, Saturdays 4 to 5 p.m. You're listening to TANDL Radio at uh, 90.5 FM in East New York, www.tandlradio.com on the Internet.
0: Wonderful. All right, that's our show. We will see you next Saturday on the air at 3 o'clock. Have a great weekend. And thank you, everybody, for a wonderful afternoon. We really uh, enjoyed being with you. God bless you. Is Donald,
1: Mr. Brown, are you there?